This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the latest episode of Total Saints Podcast, your weekly look at all things Southampton Football Club related. We're recording on the 29th of November, meaning there are now only 26 sleeps until Christmas. How exciting. Of course, before then, Saints have another four matches to play, starting with Brighton and Hove Albion away a week on Monday, with fans set to return. In this pod, we'll be talking about the return of fans, previewing the trip down to the Amex Stadium, as well as reflecting on today's disappointing 3-2 loss versus Manchester United, a game that saw Saints once again unfortunately go 2-0 up versus United, only to lose 3-2 late on. To help get through all of that, returning with their normal eclectic views and opinions is Steve, Glenn and Dan. Evening, chaps. Evening. 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 Glenn, before we get too deep and emotional about the game, I mentioned Christmas there. You strike me as the sort of man that'll have your Christmas tree and uh, decorations up by now. I strike you completely wrong then. <laughs> it's November. Yeah. And whilst, you know, each, each to their own, if people want to put up their Christmas tree in November or October, that is entirely up to them. Um, I, I will admit that we do actually own a Christmas tree. We have bought a real one. Ooh, it is in a bucket. It. It is in a bucket outside at the moment. It will probably get put up next weekend. There, but, you, go. Uh, there you go. Yeah, that's where we're at. Fair enough. I've got to say, I'm, I'm normally like you, Glenn. I've normally been a, you don't put it up until at least the first week of December, and anyone else that does is uh, absolutely disgusting. But bearing in mind, it's been such a, a tough year this year, and I think, uh, obviously, I've got a young family, as everyone knows, so uh, they put theirs up. Uh, ironically, while we were doing TSP VIP yesterday, they uh, were putting ours up. So ours is actually up, and uh, hopefully it's brought a bit of uh, excitement and joy around the house, uh, even though there is a long time to go. But... Uh, what about uh, you, Dan? You uh, look forward to Christmas? It's always a busy time for journalists, isn't it? Yeah, it's always a, a really busy time. I mean, it's it's slightly weirder this year, I guess, where you know we're not going to a, every single away game. So 
there'll be more more time to spend at home. But yeah, it's always a busy time of the year. Plenty to write about, plenty to talk about, and you know the fact that every game is on on TV now, and you haven't got to pay for it, it's even better for especially for supporters. Indeed, indeed. Obviously, uh, you can have a moon at the broadcasters if you're not happy with your schedule, uh, Dan. But uh, obviously, we enjoyed uh, reading the piece about Oriel last uh, Thursday, I think it was. You, of course, signposted it in the show last week. Um, any hints at what uh, people listening that subscribe on The Athletic can uh, look out for from you this week? Not not too much in the pipeline yet. Looking at something to, to run next Saturday, which I believe is the 5th of December, um, which obviously coincides with Hassan Hootel's second year at the club. So we've got something lined up for that. Middle of the week, uh, not too sure yet. We've got a couple of things on the go. So just a, a, a choice, really, of what we go with and what, what we hold back for another time. Fair enough. All right. The suspense will uh, keep everyone on their toes. Right, right, so I'm that's good. Sure so. that. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. And Steve, um, obviously, you're still in Dubai, I think, for another couple of weeks. And uh, I think I saw you'd move to a new apartment during the week, which, unless I'm wrong, is the, on the 42nd floor. Is that right? Yes, it's um, yeah, it's quite a long way up. Yeah, must be some lift ride. Yeah, it's I mean, it's, it's quite quite amusing that the the lift that I have to get up, basically the building's got 70 floors, and the lift that I have to get up is amusingly titled um, the low level um, lifts. <laughs> um, but my yeah, my floor's the top of the low level lift uh, floors, so yeah, all the way up to the top of that that lift, which is um, it's not it's not too bad. They're they're pretty quick, but it's um, yeah, the balcony. I don't I'm not spending basically any time on that. <laughs> because sod looking down it's a long way yeah. up <laughs> I was going to say I'm 6 foot 2 and I'm not great with heights but I uh, used to live in Ocean, Oceana Boulevard and that was on the 4th floor and I think that was high enough for me but uh, there we go um, your, your top Dubai highlight just before we get going from the, the past sort of week or so what have you been up to or what, what's been the highlight for you drinking um, <laughs> not watching yeah, Saints I mean, well um, I met up with all the uh, Dubai Saints this afternoon for the game um, so there was probably about 10, 12 of us I guess so everyone was in everyone was in good spirits until about yeah until about 75 minutes into the game I guess yeah just disappo- disappointing but um, no that was that was good to actually have some sort of proper interaction with people because obviously because I've been out here on my own for best part of a month now so uh, yeah good to good to sort of have a have a proper proper sort of chat with a few people that was um, that was good yeah great stuff all right well just before we get going a quick couple of patron related mentions thanks to all the TSP patrons who joined our latest TSP VIP patrons only event yesterday that I mentioned earlier it was um, per the other two really um, great to catch up with everyone uh, in particular I wanted to just give a shout out to Dean in Bangkok John in Tokyo Bruce in Auckland and Dan in Melbourne Stephen Glemmer on it as well I thought it was uh, good fun to do hopefully everyone enjoyed it we look forward to the next one which we'll aim to do just before Christmas and thanks also to James Kibbe who became our latest TSP patron this past week James your support is massively appreciated by all of us I'm very grateful for it. Okay, underpinned by our global patrons via patreon.com slash Total Saints Podcast, this is TSP138. This is the Total Saints Podcast with Ben Stanfield, Steve Grant, Glenn Delacour and the Athletics' Dan Sheldon. Saints' so latest game ended with an injury-time 3-2 defeat to Manchester United, having been 2-0 up. The winless record against the Red Devils, unfortunately going on for another season. Um, very much a, a case of St Mary's deja vu, unfortunately, Glenn, but uh, it's been a while since we've had a, a typical sort of defeat from the jaws of victory result for Saints, so still disappointing. The words I wrote down here was, uh, unfortunately, towards the end, there was a bit of a sense of inevitability. 
Yeah, I think it was my def- personal defence mechanism. I kind of accepted we were going to lose as soon as United got one back. It was it was kind of preparing myself for the um, inevitable disappointment that uh, that duly came. Um, even when we got to 90 minutes and the you know the clock turns red and it it starts counting down, I I kind of thought they're going to have another chance here, and 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 sure enough, it did. Oh, they did. Um, over the 90 minutes, if you if you look at it as a whole, 95 minutes, whatever, we didn't deserve anything from the game, to be perfectly honest. Um, we had 20 minutes at the back end of the first half where we were the better side and we looked like we sussed out their sort of diamond formation. We were moving the ball quickly side to side and driving forward. But other than that, they were the better side for three quarters of the game. And you have to say, overall, they... Uh, they deserve to win. Um, and as I always say, when you're playing these teams, they've got so many options. And, and it was never more illustrated than today. They, you know, they bought a genuinely world class player off the bench. Doesn't matter that he's 33. He never relied on his pace anyway. And he, he was just a massive difference. Our, our defenders couldn't, couldn't get near him, even though he, you know, he's not particularly quick. He's just got that intelligence to find space when the ball is about to arrive. And that's, uh, that was the difference. Whereas, um, yeah, I don't really want to talk about the striker that we bought off the bench by comparison. It, you know, it was just, it was just a joke, really, talk and cheese. And I, I think that the game highlighted that the sort of deficiencies in our squad when we, when we draw much below the first 11, we don't have much to, to bring on and affect the game. And, and, and that was the difference today. And it, it was a shame, but it's one that I think, everyone will ultimately be able to live with because of um, who the opposition were. Mm. Dan, we've uh, obviously spoken the last week or so about the fact that um, you know Saints hadn't beat Manchester United at uh, St Mary's since 2003. It's the uh, the 10th time in the Premier League era that United have come from behind to beat us, unfortunately, which uh, is uh, a record for that they hold with themselves, actually, for Newcastle as well. So at least Newcastle have uh, suffered a lot of the same pain that we have. We'll come on to talk about a couple of the sort of key moments and or talking points in a moment. But again, we're not going to get too despondent because it has been a fantastic run and hopefully Hopefully there'll be a lot of lessons learned from this, but in, in in the sort of summary of the game, as Glenn's kind of alluded to there, a bitter blow for Ralph and the lads. Yeah, absolutely. You don't want to go 2-0 up and then it gets to 2 all, and you're thinking, right, let's just try and see the game out and at least get a point from it. To concede in the 92nd minute or whenever it was is obviously dispiriting for the, for the players, and I'm sure that the dressing room was a very despondent place after the game. But again, like, as you've mentioned, this aside, I mean, they're still Man United. You know, they're, they're still a good team. And Glenn was absolutely right to point out the bench. As soon as I saw the team sheets um, before kickoff, you're looking at it and you're thinking, gosh, Cavani, matter. Then, you know, no disrespect to Southampton's bench. Shane Long, Obafemi, and Lundalu realistically aren't going to come on and win you the match in the same way that Olegon Solskjaer's players could do. And that, of course, proved to be the difference. You know, Cavani was just a class above Southampton's defenders when he was on the pitch. But again, you know, that being said, it's still 17 points from 10 games. I think that's what their their third Premier League defeat of the season. First time they've lost since Tottenham. It could be a lot worse. But yes, losing from 2-0 up, of course, isn't isn't good. But it's just one of those things. And as Glenn said, as soon as the United got one back, you just thought... Well, there's only going to be one winner in this game now, and it's a shame it was like that, but that, that's how it was. I would agree. Um, were you surprised Saints found themselves 2-0 up in the, the first place, Steve, or was it sort of testament almost to getting through those early stages and making the most of their opportunities when they came along? I think 
based on the balance of play, yeah, it was it was a bit of a surprise. Certainly, certainly the opening goal came massively against the run of play. We'd barely started, got ourselves a set piece, and I mean, basically Marcus Rashford just completely switches off at the near post. Uh, Bednarek gets a run on him and and does well with the flick. But I mean, of course, we know that when Bednarek scores, we go two nil up and then we lose. So it, I mean, even even from that point, there was a crushing inevitability about the whole thing. But I think. I mean, as as Glenn said, there was basically only really a 20 minute spell from that opening goal um, through until half time. And maybe um, I might be sort of slightly more generous and give us 10 minutes in the um, in the second half as well before they got a goal back where we looked like the better side. Basically, I don't think it was it was really a tactical thing. It was just that United played better than us and they have better players. And therefore, if they do on the rare occasions that they turn up in games like this occasionally you can you could be on on the end of on the end of something and i mean we were lucky that their finishing was god awful in the first half obviously mccarthy basically presented greenwood with a chance made a bit of a hash of that and then mccarthy redeemed himself with a great save at the feet of um rashford i mean apart from the two goals i mean did we i think we had one shot they hit the post shortly after the first goal and then um, Adams had that shot just wide immediately after Cavani had equalised. But other than that, I'm struggling to remember yeah. either of their keepers. I think Armstrong had one, didn't he? That just a, an easy one into Henderson's chest just after he came on. But as you say, that was yeah, about it. I mean, yeah. It's, it's yeah. I mean, difficult to remember either of their keepers being tested. And I mean, obviously De Gea went off injured, and they actually brought on a better goalkeeper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I was kind of thinking that when he went off. I thought actually that's probably bad news for us more than for them. Yeah, I mean, when they're bringing someone of the caliber of Cavani who I mean I, I sort of raised this in our VIP talk uh, yesterday didn't I that him and uh, Van der Beek if they were in the starting 11 then all of a sudden that United team has the proper shape to it and they're going to be they're going to be a serious outfit despite um, Solskjaer's litany of uh, tactical uh, deficiencies I mean they just they just got good players yeah and I mean, him and I mean, Fernandez didn't really actually do an awful lot in the game apart from be involved in at the key moments. And that's that's kind of why you pay the big bucks. You, at our level, you need players who are always involved and always looking to get involved at the top level. You've got you get players who kind of just just make the difference when it matters. And that was ultimately the, the difference um, this afternoon. Yeah, as, uh, as Steve mentioned there, Jan Benderick now has this unfortunate personal record of uh, he scored three times for Saints. Every time uh, he scored, Saints have gone into a 2-0 lead and then managed to lose all three games 3-2, if you didn't know. So once was uh, under Mark Hughes uh, with Chelsea. Wolves last season, of course, we went in 2-0 at half-time and lost, and then uh, again today. So, yeah, that's uh, a record that he'll be wanting to uh, get rid of. Um, just just to sort of focus on, I suppose, one more positive, Glenn, because uh, there weren't loads and loads, but I think it's just as we always do, trying to be constructive. Um, obviously, Prousey, you know, again, showing his importance to the team with the set pieces, setting up the first goal for Bednarek and then scoring another wonderful free kick from an area of the pitch that I think we can now officially call War Prouse territory. Yeah, it's... I mean, we took, you know, I talked about Cavani being a genuine world-class player. Walprouse is, you know, he's reaching that sort of territory when it comes to free kicks and dead balls now. It, it's, it's crazy. Goals like that, they grab the attention and they're, they're the sort of thing that get you into England squads and get you actually on the pitch. Um, it, it's something that is just a deadly weapon in the, and it nearly worked today for us. We weren't particularly great, but we had two set pieces and scored two goals down to him entirely the free kick was ridiculous how he managed to get that amount of spin on the ball 
you know, and it was what, a couple of inches inside the post. I mean, you could argue De Gea should have saved it because he knew exactly where it was going. Um, and it wasn't right in the top corner, but it was a hell of a free kick to get it there. Uh, I was watching, I watched for my sins, the Tottenham Chelsea game and Harry Kane had a free kick from the same position and basically hit it at the moon. <laughs> and, and that's the difference. And you've, you've got a striker there who, who is, who will probably take the free kicks when he's on the pitch. And then you've got Ward Prowse who, who basically sticks everyone at the moment in, in the net and, and threatens a goal. I mean, that's, as he had the game a couple of weeks ago where he's, you know, he scored two free kicks. Have we even had one since then? Because I, I think that's, you know, sort of like the last three kicks, he, last three free kicks he scored from. So, uh, yeah, long, long may it continue. I think he scored 50% of the Premier League's direct, direct free kick goals this season, three out, three out of six. six. That's right. And yeah. I think as Roy Keane said, it's, uh, it's almost like Saints getting a penalty, isn't it? It's that, uh, yeah. that good yeah. for, for them. But, uh, Dan, look, it would obviously be probably naive to, to just sort of, you know, surpass the second half and not mention it. Obviously, we don't want to dwell on it for too long. But from a, a Saints point of view, do you think they did much wrong, you know, you know, that was sort of evident as in lots of mistakes? Or, or was it just, you know, I think for me, and I'm not sure about other people, it felt like they just started giving the ball away a lot, whether that was a tired thing, whether that was United playing them their own game. But obviously, you know, Bertrand giving it away for the first goal and things like that. It just felt like we were kind of kept giving the ball back to them and therefore the onus. 100% agree with how you assessed it there, to be honest. Southampton clearly got tired as the game went on, not helped by who United brought off the bench, of course. But United, to their credit, you know, I thought, especially the first kind of, before Southampton had that good sort of 20 minutes spell in the first half, you know, United, they were impressive. I mean, their pressing was good. They didn't really let Southampton have too much time, you know, in the in the defence. You know, we all know Southampton's defence, that they recycle the ball over and over again before trying to find an opportunity that presents itself. United were quite good at nullifying that. Southampton obviously got better and started playing it around a lot quicker. But yeah, as the game went on, they just, United got stronger and Southampton got weaker. Southampton started making more mistakes. They're probably, let's face it, it's a condensed season. Every player is going to be tired. And again, it just goes to that point. Southampton's squad, you know, 1-11, to they are very good. And fair enough, you know, Nathan Redmond would normally be on the bench. He wasn't there today, he's injured. And then, you know, you'd have someone like Walcott probably on the bench if Danny Ings was fit, you know, they're two good players that can come on and make a difference. There just wasn't that today. And especially from a defensive point of view, I think Southampton are lacking. There aren't any other fullbacks. Don't get me wrong, Bertrand and Walker-Peters, they're solid, they're good, but they've got no one really pushing them. And then you look for Bednarek, who was clearly struggling. And the only player you can bring on is Stevens. Now, I like Jack Stevens. I know a lot of people don't, but I do. It's just very, you know, it's just, there's not a lot there from Southampton from, for what Rav can really do I think there's an argument that can definitely be made in the second half could he have brought on the substitutes a little bit earlier yes I know I've just spent the last like minute basically moaning that the, the substitutes aren't good enough but they still inject they're still going to inject a bit of energy I, d- I don't want Shane Long on the pitch for any longer <laughs> he just hopeless sorry he is and I'd rather I'd rather they stuck the youngsters on because they'd benefit more from the minutes and they couldn't be any worse so why, why not stick the youngsters on? I mean, for, for what it's worth, I, I thought we lost our attacking intent a little bit in the second half. We, we passed the ball sideways and, and backwards, which is fine, you know, as long as you've got the ultimate intent to drive forward. And I think we lost that a bit in the second half, both the first and the third goals. We had possession in our half. And instead of driving forward, we, you know, we lost the ball ultimately. And, and well, they, were just getting, they were getting deeper and deeper as the game yeah. went on, weren't they? And United were just getting on top, getting on top, getting on top. You know, we've all said we knew the chances were going to come. For the Cavani's winner, had it been a bit earlier, had Bednarek been 
100% would have been a bit more switched on to that run. You know, they're all little things, but that's what's going to separate Southampton and really pushing for those European spaces and not. Yeah. Steve, I think it's an interesting couple of points that Dan makes there that I'd, I'd probably agree with. You, you know, maybe not, not specifically criticising Ralph because I think he's done so many good things over the last few weeks, but almost just thinking about whether he could have, have impacted the game. I mean, I, I wrote down here, you know, could he have changed anything tactically? Are the options limited? That therefore means that he can't really do that. But we, we've not had time to necessarily get the clip of him being interviewed after the game. But uh, speaking to BBC, he said, quote, we couldn't keep the pressure high on them. We had some fantastic moments, the best I think we can against such sides. I'm very happy about what we can play today. The second half sure was difficult, but we must see the quality. And in the end, how difficult it is to defend against the other team. I think the game was a good watch. I suppose the question, Steve, is do you think he could have done more to react? Because it was clear that United were on top. Or do you just think he felt that there's, there's nothing I could do here, really? They've just got the onus and we need to kind of just defend if we can. I mean, there, there were certainly other options, I guess. I think I might have, rather than bringing Shane Long on for Gineppo and pushing Walcott back, I think I might have just gone an, almost a straight swap of Diallo on for Gineppo at that point. Have um, Basically have a three-man central midfield and kind of have Armstrong maybe Armstrong and Walcott kind of almost go a Christmas tree formation, really. You, you effectively have three holding central midfielders, giving the defence as much protection as possible. And you basically see it out because it was it was painfully obvious for I mean, even throughout most of the first half that for whatever reason, our attacking sort of uh, sort of dynamism wasn't really working. I don't know, don't know whether we, we were just we were just off our game for, for the for the majority of it. And I think sometimes in that situation, you've just got to you've got to be a little bit more pragmatic and say, OK, look, this isn't working. Let's just plug the gap and see how that works. I suppose it's catch-22, though, isn't it? Because he's, he's known as a bit more of an attacking manager. And, of course, if he does then go into defensive um, sort of formation, which I don't necessarily disagree with your points at all, and then, of course, if they lose the game, he's going to get almost, um, what's the word, sort of battered almost for why did you go into defensive mode and you should have kept some tackings. It's, it's, it's kind of you know catch-22 almost, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, we, lo- we lost the game anyway. So it's it, it, you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. But, yeah, I, I just think occasionally you've just got to be a little bit more flexible. This is one, I mean, it was, it was one of the things, one of the real big, big issues we had um, under Pochettino, if you remember. Yeah, no plan B. Basically, we, yeah, basically, we had, our, we had our plan A, and it looked great, but occasionally it just didn't work. Teams found a way to defend against it, and then and after about 65, 70 minutes, if we weren't winning the game, then basically we weren't going to win the game um, because there was there was kind of no energy left in the tank to kind of have another go at it or or try anything else and it kind of almost felt kind of almost felt a similar scenario here we had the legs in, legs in the tank but there was no it it kind of felt as if the the energy levels just weren't quite where where they needed to be today. It's difficult to know whether whether that was because United were were pressing us anymore. It, it didn't didn't instinctively feel that way. But I mean, maybe that the statistics will will show that maybe they were getting in our faces a little bit more than it just instinctively felt. Glenn, let's try and end on a, a positive then. Um, yes, it was frustrating. Yes, it was disappointing. But important to take the lessons from today and learn from them and not let it sort of derail what's been a, a fantastic few weeks. No, at the end of the day. As I said earlier, it's Man United and they've got endless resources and they turned up today. It was a, it was a decent performance for them. Um, I'm sure their, you know, their fans are, who are making podcasts like this one are all, are all sat, are all sat there saying, you know, this was a decent performance. They put in a 70 minute performance and 
I, I agree with Steve. They kind of won despite Solskjaer. Um, I know they've got other games coming up that they, they need to plan for, but uh, they have so many options and he got, he got it right. So I think you can write this game off. It's more important that we beat the likes of Brighton, who I think we've got next, and Sheffield United. If you just said, you know, we'll get six points from those two games and, and the Man United game, people would be quite happy. But there's a little bit of pressure on now to uh, to go and uh, to go and beat those teams who we, quite frankly, should beat. The Total Saints Podcast, proudly underpinned by our TSP patrons. So now it's time to have a chat about fans returning to the games after some of the announcements and communication during the week. We'll talk specifically about fans returning at Brighton versus Saints next week in a moment. But, Glenn, starting with you, the announcement was obviously made by the government on Thursday of last week that Southampton will change to Tier 2 from the 2nd of December. It means at the moment St Mary's will be able to welcome back 2,000 fans for the Sheffield United game on the 12th of December. Before we get too carried away with the general decision on the government's tiering system, um, good to see a number (laughs) of fans... Good to see any number of fans being able to return to sporting venues like St Mary's, right? Yeah, it's, oh, it's 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 a very important step. I think going from zero fans to any number of fans is is a is a bigger step than going from two thousand to four thousand and and ultimately up to a more or less full capacity. So getting fans in there is, is an important first step. It will be odd. I mean, I've answered the question from the from the ticket office to say that I would be prepared to go to a game because I know all season ticket holders have been asked that question. So I, I have no problem. I'm I'm happy that it will be safe. If I do get to go to a game, then then I'm looking forward to it. But it will be very, very odd just, just having 2,000 people there. And I assume we'll all be... I mean, we could be sat 16 seats apart. <laughs> I think I've called... That's going to be... Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's going to be it's going to be very odd. Um, but yeah, I mean, if if it comes, I, I'll look forward to it. But uh, but I did hear I did hear st- sort of rumours that they were going to say no singing, no shouting, and yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, no, no nothing. Yeah. Sit on your hands and don't say a word. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what the what the guidance actually is. But uh, King, Kings quite... and season ticket holders only. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. Quite... Yeah, it's interesting because I saw yeah. Gary Taphouse had uh, um, one of the uh, journalists online had uh, yeah tweeted that story, Glenn, uh, about singing and all that sort of thing and I replied to him asking whether we'd still be able to tut sideways and backwards passes so yeah yeah I, yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to it. it it's a phase whether you whether you think it'll be any good or not actually going to the to the game it it's um it's a phase that we have to go through and it's a whatever way you look at it it's a step in the right direction it's another step back towards uh, normality and let's face it we need that yeah, Dan, just from a, a journalistic point of view, of course, you've mentioned a few times that it's been a bit odd um, being in the stadium without fans and, you, you know, looking down at your laptop previously and you knew when something was going to happen and things like that. Of course, you know, one or two thousand fans won't make a massive difference, but at least it will make um, a difference compared to nothing. So, as Glenn said, there, a step in the right direction. Absolutely. And that and that's how it should be viewed. As Glenn said, really, you know, there's not much difference going from two thousand to four thousand. The important thing is that there's there's going to be fans inside the stadium. You know, I'm in a very privileged position where, you know, I get to go to the games and season ticket holders have had to miss out on that since when well, I think the last time there would have been fans since St. Mary's was back in March. And, you know, football plays such an important part in so many people's lives. They go to work Monday to Friday and then, you know, Saturday is their release and they get to go and watch their team win, lose or draw. You know, they're with all their friends and that that's really been missing. From a point of view of, you know, 2000, it's probably going to be 
I don't want to speak for the club. You know, I've not really spoken to the club about this. I'd be lying if I said I was if I was on top of the you know fans returning story because I'm not. But from the outside looking in, I'm sure it's going to be the club aren't going to be making any money with you know 2,000 fans coming in. They they may be losing money, but do you know what? That doesn't matter. The the important thing is is that fans are back. They can enjoy football again. There's going to be multiple stories can they sing can they shout can they whatever let's just kind of wait until there's official guidance on that i mean it's gonna be pretty hard to police people not singing or shouting yeah. um <laughs> you know I, i'd put money on it if, if you know if Southampton score a 93rd minute winner two thousand people aren't going to be sat down yeah not, no. not, the not chapel stand would you know yeah. The, yeah, there's going to be a reaction um yeah. and you know what that i can't wait for that you know that's football is about the fans and mm. we all get distracted by you know transfers and and whatnot and fans are often the forgotten ones don't get me wrong it'll probably go back to normal you know in a year's time or two years time and fans are just seen as secondary but for now the fans being absent has made a lot of people think about football as a product which they can sell so you know i'm optimistic about fans coming back the sooner we can get more back the better but 2000 is absolutely a start it's going to be interesting to see what they do on the on the tv isn't it because they're always apologizing oh, we're ever so sorry you may have picked up some industrial language there if you get 2000 fans who are allowed to shout it's going to be very very clear what they're mm. saying isn't it <laughs> so indeed indeed um well i know dan's been very busy i i did take the opportunity actually this week just because uh, it obviously happened to reach out to the club and try and get a bit of a better understanding from a fan's point of view about uh, what may happen and uh, try and share some of those with you on the pod this weekend because I appreciate many of you listening will be season ticket holders will be interested um, what I would say is um, you know this isn't a club statement this is just some information that's been passed to us and obviously may change dependent on the, the safety advisory group process going forward but um, certainly I know Glenn mentioned earlier about sort of season ticket holders and things like that so as I understand it and from what I've been told and, and this you know obviously as I say it's just on behalf of the pod is that the club are trying to find a balance between allocating to both general admission season ticket holders and hospitality guests as well as fulfilling sponsorship commitments and um, pleasingly I think the the club has sort of said that uh, many of the sponsors have elected to forego or significantly reduce their ticket entitlements to allow more fans back into the stadium of course with only 2,000 tickets available there will be some fans who may have to wait a little longer to get into the stadium and uh, the club are therefore trying to make the allocation as fair as possible the majority of tickets um, are likely to go into a ballot which will only be for season ticket holders unless for some reason the number allocated isn't taken up by that group to keep it fair I think one consideration that the club appear to be doing is trying to sort of say that if someone is successful in the ballot say for example Glenda Lacour they can't be selected again until all season ticket holders who elect to go into the ballot have been able to go to a game so essentially say Glenn gets picked for the Sheffield United game you know Glenn would probably then have to wait until everyone else that wanted to go had been able to go and that's obviously to try and prevent the same people being randomly selected and others uh, never getting the chance to go along uh, Steve obviously mentioned about the Kingsland I think um, 2,000, 4,000 I think you know it would have been 4,000 fans if Saints were still in tier 1 isn't a massive difference other than as Dan said sort of from a revenue point of view but I believe that they're looking to open the Itchen and Kingsland and then adopt the sort of protocols that are set by both the Premier League and the Safety Advisory Group so the whole footprint will be used in clear way, uh, one-way systems and things like that are implemented you know it's going to be key for the club to host a successful first and uh, sort of subsequent events where fans fans adhere to the guidance. Steve, just to sort of reflect finally on, on this fans element before I get down to you on the Brighton game, um, there's been a lot of chat, I suppose, this week around football and, you know, when fans could return in other areas of the country as well. So you think of somewhere like Burnley, 
obviously they're sort of tier three so they can't have any fans back at the moment so there's been a lot of is it fair isn't it fair you know I, I was talking to TalkSport on Monday and the sort of point I made was actually you know Ralph had made a point that St Mary's you know the team had been doing quite well without the fans there and it could almost work in the, the reverse now so it's not just you know that if you've got fans back you get an advantage but do you think it's fair that some grounds are being allowed to have fans back and others aren't given the sort of medical and uh, health situation I don't think there's a there's really a right answer I, I think they ultimately as long as it's safe then they should be allowing as many as they can safely accommodate and that goes that kind of goes across the board and down all levels because I mean and this is particularly sort of apparent to lower league um, clubs where gate, rev- gate revenue accounts for basically all of their money um, whereas obviously the Premier League has all this pretty much guaranteed TV revenue that means that they can quite happily play behind closed doors and it's I mean yeah they're they're losing out on the on the gate revenue um, where obviously Saints are refunding season ticket money a lot a lot of clubs just never sold season tickets for this season in the first place and um, I think ultimately as long as it's safe and I mean realistically two two thousand people in in a ground that holds, I mean, anything up to, like, I mean, Old Trafford holds, what, 76,000. That sort of crowd isn't going to be doing any influencing of a referee, I, do, I, I don't think. I, I find it find it nearly impossible to believe that that, that, sort of, that sort of attendance would have any material impact. I think, I mean, maybe from a morale perspective, if we believe all the, the sort of PR guff that comes out of every every football club saying, oh, we really miss the fans. I mean, given given our home form since fans weren't allowed in grounds, do our players miss the fans? I I, I mean, gen, uh, gen, genuine question. I mean, we, we laugh and joke about it. Well, I think the results actually, speak for themselves, don't they? Yeah, I mean, our, our performances and results have been excellent um, behind closed doors. And, I mean, whether that, persuades i mean let's face it those of us that 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 go whether we go regularly or whether we go occasionally we know of people who stand stand or sit very near you who never have a good thing to say about anything that goes on in the game and i think from everybody's perspective if those sorts still weren't able to go then everyone would be quite happy to be going back in and and players would be quite happy to have genuine support and it's one of those where I mean, let's face it. We I mean, we all like a moan, but I think there are there are people that kind of take it too far, and and it's those people that you kind of think, well, actually, we're we're kind of better off, better off in a situation without um, without those. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that, and uh, I think it's a British thing having a good old moan, isn't it? But yeah, there's a, a limit to that. But uh, ju- just finally, then Dan, on this, um, the Brighton versus Saints game that we're obviously going to preview in a minute next Monday will be the 20th game that Saints have played since that Newcastle home game back in March, which was obviously the last time they played in front of a crowd. So again, not only is it going to be fans getting used to being back in the the ground and the atmosphere, but as Steve said there, players getting used to it as well. And certainly for Saints, you know, even relatively low numbers, just having an atmosphere again. Yeah, undoubtedly, it's going to be strange. For the players for the first 10 or 15 minutes but they spent more time playing in front front of 30,000 fans than they have playing in empty stadiums so you can't have it both ways you can't say it's better without them and then complain when they're back or do you know what I mean it's just 
you know, they're footballers. They should be used to people in stadiums. 2,000 isn't a big number. When you put 2,000 people in a big stadium like the Amex or St. Mary's, especially like Glinted, you know, they're like 16 seats apart. You know, how spread out is that going to look? So, you know, I, I, I think it's fairly inconsequential, you know, for the players, fans coming back. They're all professionals. They've got a job to do. One thing I will say is that because of how Southampton play, you know, you, you joked about, well, I don't know if you, you, you probably weren't joking about, you know, a tut for a sideways pass or, or something like that. You know, I think enough time has evolved now for supporters to probably get a better understanding of how, how Southampton play. And because they've been so successful, chances are those tuts won't be there because they'll be like, oh no, we're doing this because it's got, you know, in three or four passes time, hopefully something opens up and, you know, we're going to score. I'm sure, you know, that will be taken into account when, fans come back you know there's been so much people have been able to focus on the game a lot more because you know they're not chatting to their mates they've had to watch it on tv so they've up there they've got to understand things a lot more so yeah for me personally it should be inconsequential but you know we'll see when we what will the players say afterwards you're listening to the total saints podcast Going to the heart of all things Saints FC. Next up for Saints is a Monday night trip to face Graham Potter's Brighton side. Brighton will arrive having played 10, 1, 2, drawn 4, lost 4, scored 14, conceded 16 and had 10 points. Currently sitting in 16th off the back of their latest game, the late one all draw versus Liverpool. As an overall spectre then, Dan, how do you see this one going? Should be a good game. You know, it's a good chance for Southampton to get back to, to winning ways and Brighton are going to be full of confidence after equalising against Liverpool uh, and getting a point against them and causing Jurgen Klopp to um, have a bit of a bust up with uh, BT Sport, which was, was which was rather amusing. As a general game, I think, you know, I like Graham Potter as a coach. I think he's, do, he's doing a pretty decent job there. So, yeah, it should, it should be an entertaining game for me. Um, it's one that I think Southampton should be looking to win, especially given their home form. I'd be disappointed if they didn't go there and win, personally. You know, they, they should be beating these teams. They're good enough to beat these teams. And... You know, Ralph made the comment uh, earlier in the week that a certain Dan Yings could be back playing. He did. Um, you know, whether he's going to, I mean, I'm sure it'd probably be too early for him to start, although I'm, I could be proved wrong on that, you know, but what a boost that will be just to have him sat on the bench. You know, that's going to be boosting morale, isn't it, for, for the players? Look, you know, if we're struggling and it's nil-nil with 30, 30 minutes, 20 minutes to go, you can just throw on one of the Premier League's best strikers to go and win you the game and for me, that that's going to be a big, big plus, um, and will add to the game itself. Absolutely. Um, Brian started the season well, Steve, with the three 0 win, of course, up at Newcastle. However, it, it took until last week at Villa to get their second victory in the Premier League, two uh, one. Their biggest win in the season, just to make sure that we got it on record, because I absolutely wanted to get it in there, was the fact that they beat Pompey four 0 in the cup. Um, anyway, that said, they're always a, a fairly tough nut to to try and crack, um, Steve. And uh, obviously, they're going to be boosted by the the result and showing, as Dan mentioned there, against Liverpool. Yeah, they were they were decent in patches in that game. I mean, Liverpool were way off way off the pace for the vast majority of it, which is basically why Klopp then went and had that argument with Des Kelly on TV because it allowed him to kind of gloss over the fact that they were pretty ordinary. But Brighton Brighton are an, are an interesting side where Potter has obviously come in with a remit of changing the style, and I mean it is such a world away from the god-awful, just dour football of Chris Hewton. Ultimately, it's a results business, and their results haven't really improved. They're still poor at home, statistically, certainly. And, yeah, I mean, as, as Dan said, it's, it's definitely a game that we should be going there 
um, will we'll go there as favourites, and we and we should be looking to win it. But their their style of play is obviously a lot easier on the eye. They're they're very happy to play out from the back, which actually I think um, potentially plays into our hands a lot more. I mean, they're, they're, they're an odd one in that they do create chances from open play. It's just their strikers seem completely incapable of finishing them. I mean, Morpé somehow managed to pass the ball wide of goal um, with a, uh, from the penalty spot um, yesterday. Uh, Connolly missed a one-on-one, put it wide. It's like, I mean, they didn't even, didn't even force the keeper into a save. And um, that's basically... I mean, by, by all accounts, their performances have been have been okay, but they just they just don't don't score enough goals. And I mean that's that's a big big problem for most of the teams down the bottom. Really, it's it's difficult to find someone who's gonna who's gonna get you enough. I mean, Morpé got ten or eleven last season, which which kept them up reasonably comfortably. But I think if I mean we've we've mentioned this before. I think if if um, if the pandemic hadn't struck and football hadn't been suspended, I think Brighton would have gone down instead of Bournemouth. Um, because they were they were on a proper slide, and they they kind of got away with it, being able to sort of regroup a little bit. And so I think they've got they've still got issues in that team um, at both ends, really. I think they're they're still a little bit weak, despite having like all the giants at the at the back, including a six six foot seven left back. They've conceded the most goals from set pieces this season, I think. So that will certainly be somewhere where we'll be looking to looking to hurt them. I think Morpey went off uh, a minute after missing the penalty with embarrassment, didn't he? But uh, yeah, as you say, it wasn't a, a great penalty. Um, then since they returned to the Premier League then in 2017, they finished 15th, 17th and then 15th respectively. Do you see them as a side that can push on towards a top half finish this time out under Potter? Or do you think they're more likely to be a, a looking over their shoulders sort of team? Um, neither of those. I don't think they'll... I don't think they'll be threatening the top 10 at all um, for all the reasons that have been specified by uh, by Steve and Dan. But I don't think they're going to be in danger of relegation because I think relegation is, is going to be between the four teams that are down there at the moment. I can't see, you know, I can't see Fulham and West Brom sort of pulling away from it and Burnley and Sheffield United looking serious trouble this season. So, I, you know, I think there's enough bad teams down there to, for, for Brighton not to be under threat. Um, which should give Potter a relatively sort of like comfortable ride at, um, at trying to change the style of play. He's he is struggling with the forwards that he's got. Though they have signed a couple of couple of very surprising players. Um, I I can't believe they signed Danny Welbeck um, because that's uh, well I assume he's on big wages for a player who is very rarely fit. And of course they've got our old mate Adam Lalana who is bound to score. Absolute. No, he's injured. He's injured. He came on as sub for the sort of grand sort of um, return against against his former club, and eight minutes later hobbled off down the tunnel with a hamstring injury. Okay. Well, that's that's it. That's him in a nutshell. They, you know, they've they've apparently given him a three-year contract. Uh, week, apparently, as well. For a player who could only play 60 minutes when he was 24, and now he's 32. So it's it's a really weird one. It's like when Bournemouth signed Jermaine Defoe on a four-year contract when he was 35 or whatever. It's it's a really, really strange buy, which kind of points at their desperation in the attacking third. You know, they got away with it, as Steve said, with with Mopay last year. But I think, like with Sheffield United, you, you struggle to do it two seasons running if you haven't got the strikers. So I, I don't think they'll go down. I don't think they'll push for the top 10 either. I think they'll just be there just about keeping themselves above water fifth or sixth from bottom for the rest for, for most of the season. But yeah, going, going with what the other said, it's a, it's a, they'll, they'll play some nice football, but we should have 
too much at the attacking end of the pitch to um, to not get a result. Yeah. Just before we move on to have a, a sort of more of a chat about um, Saints, Steve, were you surprised to see Lalana join Brighton in the summer? Um, it was yeah. I thought it was a slightly odd move in terms of um, stature of club. I thought he would he would probably have wanted to go to a slightly more established Premier League side. I mean, obviously Brighton have been up a, a few years now, but every year they've kind of been in and around the relegation battle, even if they've not quite um, sort of been sucked into it properly. Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of thought that, that sort of Newcastle probably would have been would have been ideal. But, yeah, no, I'm quite surprised. But I guess coming back down south probably appeals... I mean, let's face it, it's, it's possible that Brighton were the only club willing to willing to pay the wages because they've obviously Brighton haven't had to pay a transfer fee. Um, so whatever whatever they kind of had as a budget overall for for a player of that stature, um, they can lump it all into wages and the players players obviously like, yeah, where do I sign? Mm. Overall then, Glenn, uh, I always like to look at previous records because I know that you don't give an absolute uh, anything about them. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, over the years then, obviously Saints have uh, almost doubled the number of wins as the Seagulls, 35 to 20. In more recent times, it's an excellent record we've got down at Brighton, actually. Eight wins, three draws and just one defeat in our last 12 games down there in all competitions, including winning our last three, of course. Um, so definitely a, a happy hunting ground for Saints to date. Yeah. That's all you can say about it, really. I mean, I, I've been to the last two away games down there, and we haven't played particularly well in either of them. But we've managed to um, we've managed to come away with two two positive results, mainly because Brighton couldn't take their chances. So, so yeah, it's 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 certainly a place we enjoy we enjoy playing at. It's a it's a slightly unusual ground they've got down there with it sort of like it's almost it seems like it's sloping down the hill. Um, the uh, because the of the stand, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the stadium kind of looks odd. It, it, it reminds it me in a, in, a, in a funny way of the old Milton Road end at the Dell, which yeah. kind of sloped away to nothing. But it, it, it's, it, you know, it seemed to suit us, and uh, we've had a couple of good away days down there the last uh, the last couple of years. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting that fans are ba- uh, fans are back for this one, but uh, I assume it'll be 2,000 of theirs and none of ours. Yeah, so, uh, so yeah. yeah, so, yeah, why not? Let's go down there and uh, continue the record. Mind you, the last time we said this was Crystal Palace. Yeah. Um, so there you go. So, well, I said uh, we had a good, uh, good uh, run at uh, Wolves as well, and we didn't lose there, so fingers crossed there. Yeah. yeah, you're right. I do remember the Milton Race stand. It was like 200 seats on the left-hand side, all the way down to one on the right-hand side, wasn't it? But uh, <laughs> there we go. And, and just finally then, Dan, you mentioned earlier, of course, that Ralph had obviously outlined that... Uh, before the Man United game, Danny Ings could be available to play some part in the Brighton game. Obviously, that could be a potential boost, and, and it'd be great to see him back. I, I suppose the key thing now with um, him is going to be, particularly ahead of this busy schedule, that the club are going to need to really keep an eye and monitor his progress and, and sort of workload over the coming games. And you can't just chuck him back in for 90 minutes every week because they're going to need to keep an eye on this. No, you're right, and I don't think they they would do that. To Ralph's credit, he is he tends to err on the side of caution. Uh, as opposed to you know bringing back players too early so and that's like you know Danny Ings because of who he is and you know his importance to the club they're not going to be rushing him back if you know Danny Ings if Danny Ings isn't you know if he's touch and go for the Brighton game I imagine he won't you know he'd just be left at home because why would you just wouldn't risk it why risk it and then face him out for another month you know no one gains from that but you know in in the same breath you know if he is fit and the the medical the staff have said he can travel then absolutely bring him sit him on the bench and you know if you need him bring him on if you don't let him sit there for the for the 90 minutes and it gives him one more week's rest to fully recover or, or whatever but you know the medical team at Southampton are very good they're not going to be 
risking Danny Ings for Brighton away if Danny Ings doesn't need to be risked for, for, for the Amex. So apart from apart from that, there's not, not too much that can be added other than what we've already touched on, which is, you know, if he's fit, it's a fantastic boost for, for Ralph and it's only going to benefit them. All right, well, let's get some uh, predictions. Um, we obviously did our Man United predictions offline. Glenn was uh, two minutes away from a perfect two-all draw because that's what Glenn had gone for. So unfortunate, Glenn. But uh, it did mean that uh, Dan going for Man United to win 2-1 and me, of course, with my true uh, nil one uh, both picked up a point this weekend. Uh, that's the first of the season for me, which is a great record on the 29th of November, isn't it? But uh, Dan, what do you reckon for the Brighton game? Then what are you going to go with? Uh, going to go optimistic. Three-one Southampton. Three-one, excellent. All right, um, Glenn, what do you reckon? Two-nil Saints. Two-nil Saints, brilliant. Steve? Um, yeah, I was I was basically going to go exactly same as Glenn, so I'll I'll stick with that. Two-nil. Two-nil, brilliant. All right. Well, bearing in mind how positive all, all of you are, it, uh, I don't want to ruin it. So uh, of course, nil-one let me down uh, today, but I'm willing to give it a second chance. So I'm going to go for Brighton to win one-nil. Hi guys, I'm Danny Ings and you're listening to the Total Saints Podcast. Well, as always, a big thank you to you for listening to Total Saints Podcast wherever you are in the world. We do appreciate it very much. Don't forget you can always get in touch with the pod to share your questions, Saints thoughts and or general feedback. Email us totalsaintspodcast at yardahoo.com. You can find us on Facebook, just look up Total Saints Pod or you can find us on Twitter at Total Saints Pod. We've got a busy and I hope interesting December schedule of shows planned, so keep your eyes peeled on some upcoming content. Otherwise, thanks to Dan, Steve and Glenn and to Saints for providing their latest thoughts on the fans returning. We'll aim to catch you post-Brighton, pre-Sheffield United, so look out for our next pod at some point during week commencing the 7th of December. Until then, TSPers, have a great week. Let's try and get this Man United game behind us. Keep safe and well, and most importantly, keep marching in. days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com and there it is that's as good as it gets on this stage nissan townstar ev strikes again it's an unstoppable van unstoppable no, just fantastic you can actually see the pro pilot technology in action effortless parallel parking it moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty and with a bench full of all-star van experts there's real strength in depth here that's all-star quality search nissan townstar ev and visit your local all-star van center to see for yourself Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered 
by fans.